0: Last week, if you remember, if you were here, Gary said that uh, that message on the perfect sacrifice, he felt like it was an introspective message. He likes to preach these messages with these, with these action steps, but he felt like Jesus as our perfect sacrifice was just more introspective. But what we have today, as I was looking at it and thinking back on his sermon Today, we're talking about Jesus being our confidence. It is kind of the action step of Jesus being our perfect sacrifice. It's like, okay, what do we do with that knowledge? This this is the message that kind of applies the truth, that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice, uh, him being our confidence. And we're going to see the outworking of that, how it works out really in our spiritual lives and also in our physical and communal lives. Jesus, our confidence. Has anybody ever heard of disc golf? Disc golf, some nods maybe, or Frisbee golf. You might think that disc and Frisbee are like synonymous. They are definitely not. Um, So the first time that Chris and I, we went out to go play disc golf, we had these kind of clunky actual frisbees, you know, they're kind of cheap, they're they're basically just a toy. You can get them at at Walmart, you can get them at Dollar General or Dollar Tree or even your local pet store. But uh, this is what we took out to the disc golf course, okay, so we get out of the car, and at the same time that we get there, there are these two other guys that show up. Okay. Show up at the same time we do. So we're kind of watching them get out. We've never really seen actual disc golfers before. So they're getting out and they uh, get out two baby strollers. And I'm like, okay, come on guys, a little amateur bringing your babies to the course, but all right, we'll see what happens. Well, they do not put any babies in that baby stroller. Okay. They each get out their own baby stroller and inside it, they have like 50 each, like between, not between the two of them, 50 each, like 100 between the two of them, of legit disc golf discs, and like legit discs, it's kind of like actual golf, okay, so they have distance drivers in these baby shoulders fairway drivers, they have the mid-range disc, approach disc, putters, they have everything, and so Chris and I like looked at each other, we looked at our toy frisbees, we looked back at them and we politely let them go ahead of us. You know, like, hey, yeah, just stretching still, you know, go for it, guys. And then we watched as they got up to that first tee. You go to the tee and we're always aiming for this basket, however many hundreds of feet away. And they launched that first disc like 400 feet off of that first tee, like definitely more than a football field. I don't know how far exactly, but, but at least 400 feet off that first tee. And so Chris and I looked at each other, we looked at them, we looked at our toy Frisbees, and we got in the car and we left. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously, like, no. We, we, we got in the car thinking, like, what were we thinking, you know? Like, it was basically, like, if we had showed up to an actual golf course, it was like we showed up with, a, with like, a rubberhead uh, putt-putt club, you know, and we were about to play a whole round of golf with this thing, or even, like, a little Tykes plastic set of golf clubs, you know? Like, that's what we, we showed up with this toy, with this thing you can get at a pet store. We're going to play disc golf out there. And these, these other guys, they weren't just They were players, man. They were players. They got out there, and they set a high bar, and we knew without a doubt that we were not good enough to reach that bar. So we left, man. Why did we even show up? Why we even show up? Listen, God calls us to show up, to draw near to him. Like if God is at the golf course, then he is calling us to the golf course because that's where he is. He tells us to draw near. Husbands, guys, do not use that as an excuse. Go to the golf course later this week. God calls us to draw near to him, and we see this all throughout scripture. Like our relationship with Christ, it's not just this this kind of mental affirmation like, yes, that's correct, I believe that. No, God says, come near to me. In the Old Testament, he says, seek me with all your heart. You're going to find me, seek me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, come to me. All the, the writers in the New Testament, all these letters, they're saying, draw near to the Lord, James says. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. The scripture that Angie just read for us, let's draw near to the Lord. God calls us to show up, but I think a lot of us, I know I do, I know I have, we feel like we're not good enough. like We've just got these little toys, you know? We're not, we're not good enough to show our faces before him. And maybe it's because we feel like we don't measure up or we just, we feel like we're less than what God wants. Maybe it's because you have sinned and you feel guilty. You feel guilty. And so we don't want to show our faces before the Lord. Well, last week when Gary was talking about the perfect sacrifice, we learned that God's desire is to cleanse us, of that guilty conscience, not just his desire, but it's what he can do in Jesus Christ. It's what he does do in Jesus Christ. Because when they had all those old sacrifices under the old system in the Old Testament... They would make all these sacrifices, but it really didn't, it really didn't clean people. It just kind of rolled sins back for a year. It's like, all right, you're good for a year. But then if you sin the next day, it's like, oh, I sinned. Now I have to wait a whole another year before that one gets to be rolled back. It's like an extension on your taxes, is what he said. Like, you're still going to have to pay for it, but right now it's, it's rolled back. You got, it's like you get a fresh paint job, but then the next day you get a chip on it. And you're like, ah. Oh. With Jesus, his perfect sacrifice made by God himself. His perfect sacrifice doesn't just give us a fresh paint job. No, we're a completely new structure. Like we are a new creation. Therefore, we're not just like this old rotten thing underneath new paint. No, that guilty conscience is cleansed in Jesus Christ. We're a new being. We are a new creation. That's the sacrifice that Jesus did. But here's the problem. This is where the kicker comes in, okay? The problem is that even, even though we sin still, we sometimes get that guilt. The problem is, is that we trust in ourselves to then cleanse our guilty conscience. Which kind of makes sense to us, right? Like if you do something bad, you feel like you have to make up for it, right? Is that, is that normal or is that just me? Like if I, if I do something wrong, then I feel like I'm the one that, that has to fix it. We trust in ourselves to cleanse our own guilty conscience. We trust in ourselves to be good or to be right or to make something right when we mess up. We don't go to the Lord first. No, I try and fix myself up first, you know? Like I think that I'll just, I'll do penance. Do you know what penance is? Penance is like this, this voluntary, self-inflicted punishment, so if, I, if I'm guilty of some sin that I've committed, I'll just think, all right, well, Lord, I'm just going to do penance. What I'm going to do is not allow myself to go near you or I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to pray to you. Uh, I'm just going to be really somber and spiritually alone for a day or two. That'll teach me. You know, I'm going to do penance. I'm going to fix it myself. That's dumb. Like the thought is this, like I'm a, I'm a broken person, you know. And so when I do something that reveals my brokenness, then I'm going to rely on me, the broken person that did something broken to then fix it. Like that's dumb, you know? And that's, but that's what we think. Like when it comes to offending God, we think, all right, well then I'm going to have to fix this. So you see that even when I sin, my confidence is still in me to then make it right. And when my confidence is in me, man, it is always misplaced. So what's the difference then between placing confidence in my ability and my capability, which is fallen, which is broken? What's the difference between placing confidence in my ability and capability versus placing it in Christ? What does it mean to have confidence in Christ? And this is the first slide, man to have confidence in Christ, it means that we actually believe that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We actually believe that. We actually believe in the perfect sacrifice. And I feel like, man, in our American culture, we have, we have so separated what it means uh, to believe in something. Like we've separated the heart and the mind. Like for us to believe in something, it's easy just to, it's like you're driving down uh, the highway and you see a billboard that just has a fact on it. And you, you just drive and you're like, yeah. I agree with that, and then you keep driving, and that's like belief. It's like just this affirmation, like yeah, I agree with that. I affirm that doctrine, and then you keep driving. No, but belief is more like the parable that Jesus told. I mean, when he's talking about this guy who finds he finds treasure in a field. So you know what he does? He goes out and he sells everything he has. He sells everything he has so that he can purchase that field. You can't be going to the same course. You can't be going the same direction when you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and you just keep going. No, it's like treasure in a field. Your whole life is reoriented. You change directions when you believe in Jesus. Man, your whole life is reoriented around Jesus. Sometimes I think we just think belief is affirming a fact on a billboard and then keep on going where we were going. but it's a, a reorientation on life. Having confidence in Jesus Christ means that we actually believe, we actually lean in, we actually stake our lives on the fact that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's confidence in Christ. We believe in his sacrifice, that it's the only thing that has cleaned us and made us holy. So we're gonna look I this chapter, chapter 10, and it starts where Angie just read for us in verse 19. We're going to look when our confidence in Christ, how is that just going to be outworking in our lives? How do we see that playing out in our spiritual life, in our physical lives, in our communal lives? So here we go. Verse 19, this is what we're drawing out. When our confidence is in Christ, when our confidence is in the perfect sacrifice, the finished work of Jesus Christ, we draw near to God always. And immediately, when our confidence is in what Jesus Christ has done, we draw near to God always and immediately. This is what that scripture says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If you've been here the past couple weeks, there's several of those elements in that passage that kind of sounded familiar. Or if you've read uh, in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all that would sound familiar to you. But just to simplify it, because we don't have five weeks, but we have uh, like 25 minutes to make it through this sermon right here. This is what he's saying. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence in the sacrifice of Christ, since we have confidence that Jesus is our advocate, he's our mediator, since we have confidence in both of those things, let's draw near to God. We draw near to him always and immediately, but especially in the midst of our sin. Even when we sin, we can draw near to the Lord in full assurance of faith that Jesus' work, it covers us it covers all of us, not just an elbow or a kneecap here and there. No, his blood is enough, and it covers all of us. As a priest, he lives. As a priest, as an advocate, as our mediator, Jesus lives to intercede for us precisely in the moments when we sin. Like if we were without sin, we wouldn't need a sacrifice. If we were not sinners, we wouldn't need a priest who mediated for us, said, hey, no, I've made them good, I've made them, we wouldn't need that. But we are sinners. And it's because we're sinners that Jesus lives to intercede for us. You might think your sin just disqualifies you from a mediator. No, that's, what, that's why we need a mediator. That's why we need a sacrifice. So when you sin and you're tempted to, to stay away from the Lord, don't do that. Man, immediately draw near to the Lord because we have a high priest and advocate who lives to intercede for us precisely in the moments when we sin. So our guilty conscience is cleansed and we can draw near to God always, immediately, he tells us to. Thomas Goodwin, pastor and theologian who was alive a while ago. He has this quote and he says, in heaven, Christ is now praying and interceding for you. Right now. Christ is praying and interceding for you even when you are sinning. As on earth, we see that he did this for the Jews when they are crucifying him. What did Jesus say when he was dying on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Jesus lives to intercede for us precisely in those moments when we sin. Father, forgive them. I've made them good, I went to the cross. I paid that payment. They're good. When our confidence is in Christ, we draw near to God always and immediately. Listen, when our confidence is in that perfect sacrifice, his finished work, what he's done on the cross, we hold on to hope despite present circumstances. It does not matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what situation we're in, what circumstance has come up. We hold on to hope. Verse 23 in chapter 10 of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly. Let us hold, not going to the right or to the left. Yeah, that was right for you guys, not right for me. Right or to the left. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Why do we hope? Why do we hope? Because we're capable or because we're able? No, because Jesus is, he who promised is faithful, but what is it that we're hoping in? What are we hoping for? We are continually being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. That's our hope, man. It doesn't matter the pain we're experiencing. I won't say it doesn't matter, man. It's very real pain that we experience, very real situations that we experience in this life. But we are continually being confident of this. No matter the circumstance. We are confident that he who began a good work in us is going to carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what we go through, because of our confidence in Jesus Christ, we hold on to hope. Knowing that he's holding on to us more than we're holding on to him. And in John, Jesus says of his sheep, I'm not going to let any of them out of my hand. So we hold on to that hope knowing that Jesus is holding on to us more than we're holding on to him. When our confidence is in the perfect sacrifice and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, I love this one. We personally and creatively inspire each other to love and to serve others. I'm just going verse by verse right down in Hebrews starting 19. I'm in verse 24. We personally, creatively inspire each other to love and serve others. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I don't know if you've heard the language that he's used. He keeps on saying, let us, let us. Man, somewhere along the way, I thought that Christianity, that my faith was something I was supposed to do alone. Now it's like I read my Bible alone. And I'm supposed to go out into the world. I'm supposed to do good things. I'm supposed to love people and be more like Jesus alone. Man, most of the use are plural. You know, when it says you in scripture and you, most of them are plural in our scriptures. He's always talking to us, to the church. Let us, he includes himself in this. This is not a solo endeavor, guys. When you hear this and you're like, all right, I need to go home. I need to go start trying to do these things. No, we need to go start trying to do these things and let us, it's interpersonal, it's collaborative, it's discipleships, iron sharpening iron. There's at least two people involved. Let us consider I love that word in there. Let us consider there's more than one way to love and serve others. So let's consider it together. Let's get creative. Let's scheme and plan out good things. And it's interesting in the books of Proverbs and Psalms, we kind of see the opposite thing happening in those books. Like we hear of the wicked, we hear of evildoers, those who are evil in heart, and it says that they scheme evil all the time. They lay in wait, they've, they've prepared this, this trap that's going to go off and, and, and engulf good people. Like we see them scheming evil all the time, and this is taking the opposite of that say, hey, no, let's scheme good Let's scheme good for people. Man, I love watching like elaborate pranks on YouTube. I think they're hilarious. I don't really like the show Impractical Jokers, um, but I do love Impractical Jokes. I just think they're hilarious. And I don't watch really like, I don't watch inappropriate ones or crude ones. That's why I don't watch Impractical Jokers. Sorry if I'm stepping on your toes right there. Um, But I love watching these that uh, they are kind of scary. Like people get scared that they're about to die, but then it's a prank. And so they're kind of laughing at the end. And I laugh, I would never participate in it, but I laugh at it all the time. And so these elaborate pranks, like, I, I know many of us, actually, yeah, I know many, of, I know you guys, I know many of you go to great and inconvenient links to pull a good prank on somebody. Listen, let's go to those same great and inconvenient links, not just to pull a prank, man, but to actually benefit somebody, to serve somebody. Let's scheme and plan out this good that we're going to do, these good deeds that we're going to do for people as his word says. Let's scheme good. You can even set it up like a prank if you want to. Video it, start a YouTube channel. And then in the end, somebody gets served and you punch the line, you just got served. <laughs> because they did. I've got a lot of good ideas for YouTube and TV and movies and stuff. Just waiting for people to ask me. Boom! When our confidence is in Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus, in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, when our confidence is in Him, listen, we do not give up on gathering together. Man, when we lean in, when our whole life has been reoriented around this sacrifice of Jesus, when we believe, when we lean in, when we stake our lives in it, when we are tight with Jesus, we do not give up on gathering together. Verse 25 in chapter 10, it says, let us not give up on meeting together. This is all flowing out of, since we have confidence, since we have confidence, let us draw near Let's hold on to hope since we have confidence. Since we have confidence, let's serve others. Since we have confidence, let us not give up. on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, this one is interesting to me. Okay, because it almost seems, um, it may be counterintuitive because, man, I, I've heard this claim and I've seen it played out in a lot of my, my friends' lives. A lot of people I went to college with and even seminary. People that say that because of their relationship with Christ and their confidence in him, they don't need the church because they're tight with Jesus. Man, I just saw a friend that I went to school with in Atlanta just a couple weeks ago, and I met him. He found out that I was serving at staff on a church here at Eastridge, you know, and he told me, he's like, yeah, I kind of gave up on church a little while ago. And he shared with me some really hard experiences that he's had in church. But he said he gave up. But then he was like, but he's, I'm still a believer, though. I mean, yeah, me and Jesus are tight. Got a good relationship. Man, and the scripture implies that, that the opposite should be true. Like we don't give up on the church when we're tied with Jesus, when our confidence is in Jesus. No, he's encouraging us. Let us not give up on meeting together. If your confidence is in Christ, keep gathering, keep meeting because Jesus is coming back. Keep meeting, keep encouraging one another. When our confidence is in Christ, that's what happens. When our confidence is in Jesus and His finished work on the cross and Jesus' perfect sacrifice, when our confidence is in Him, we stop sinning. We stop sinning, like completely. I really believe that that is the goal, that it's a goal. Stop sinning completely. I mean if you read the New Testament if you read the Old Testament, if you read Jesus' words, if you read all the words of the apostles in their letters, yeah, they're telling us to stop sinning, to live by the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh all over. And go and sin no more, Jesus says, to stop sinning. But I don't think that's ever gonna happen if all you do is focus on your sin all the time. That's why all in scripture, what do we see? We see fix your eyes on Jesus, draw near to the Lord, seek him. It's not going to happen if you just focus on your sin all the time. I'm going to stop sinning. I'm going to focus on the sin. No, fix your eyes on Jesus. Place your confidence in Jesus. There's an author, his name's Dane Ortland. One of the things that he says, he says, for every one look at yourself, at at all your faults, all your failures, all all your sins, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Because that's where growth happens. When your eyes are fixed on Jesus. I think it is like the old hymn says. You fix your eyes on Jesus. And all things, even our sin, it's going to start growing strangely dim. We desire it less and less and less. We stop sinning when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Wait, isn't Jesus our mediator? Doesn't he live to intercede for us? Like when we sin, don't we have to sin in order for him to intercede for us? I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. But first I've got some really... (laughs) really heavy scriptures for you that are true. They're good. They're convicting. They're meant to make us whole, to repair us. They're on the screen. I haven't had the others, but this one's heavy, and I want you to be able to see it and read along. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, after we have received knowledge that Jesus Christ has made payment for all our sins, If we then deliberately keep on sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If I continue to deliberately sin, even though I know that Jesus is my perfect sacrifice and yet I continue to deliberately sin against him, I'm an enemy of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. We see this played out in the book of Numbers right there toward the end. Moses says, if just one person comes up and accuses another person, and, and they say that they did this crime that's worthy of death, if just one person accuses them, then yeah, we can't, we can't kill anybody off of that. You know, like that's not, that's not enough. But then if just two people or maybe three people come up and they accuse that person, yeah, he's gone, like died without mercy, under the law of Moses, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who trampled the son of God underfoot, has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the spirit of grace? First John in chapter three says, no one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who continues in sin has either seen him or known him. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Are those heavy? Listen, do not use Christ's sacrifice as an excuse to sin. Do not abuse your confidence in his sacrifice. Man, abused confidence is arrogance. I hate that word. When I was in middle school or high school, I can't remember, but my brother, I remember him calling me and I probably deserved it. He said, man, you're arrogant. I don't think I really fully understood what arrogant meant, but I hated the sound of it. Arrogant. Abused confidence is arrogance. That's wrong. Abused confidence is arrogance. Should we keep sinning? Should we keep sinning so that grace may abound so that we can receive more grace? Just keep sinning and I'll get more grace. By no means. That's what Paul says in Romans. He uses that argument. Should we keep sinning so that grace may abound? By no means, Paul says. The grace of Christ does not justify and sanctify sin. Listen carefully to this. The grace of Jesus does not justify sin. Where we can just go do whatever we want because it's justified. We have grace. You know, this sin's okay now because of grace. No, the grace of Jesus sanctifies and justifies sinners, people, cleansing that guilty conscience, making them new beings, new creations. The grace of Jesus doesn't sanction sin, it cleanses sinners. Don't abuse that confidence. But listen, those verses are scary. Like I remember reading those the first time. I was like, "What? where have these been in all my life? Why haven't I seen them until now, man? But listen, there is a difference between having sinned, probably going to sin this week, maybe tomorrow, maybe today, maybe right now. Um, There's a difference between having sinned, we probably will sin again, versus if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth. A difference between, hey, if anybody does sin, we're going to see this, that little phrase right here. If anybody does sin in a passage in just a second, there's a difference between if anybody does sin versus if we deliberately keep on sinning. John, who wrote that hard verse, he said, no one who lives in Jesus keeps on sinning. No one who continues in sin has either seen him or known him. He also wrote this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. There it is. Go and sin no more. We're supposed to stop sinning. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's that difference man, between if anybody does sin versus If we deliberately continue in sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth. If anybody does sin, listen. And even right now, if you feel like you're convicted, you're stuck in deliberate sin that you can't get out of. Man, even right now, if anybody does sin, go to him immediately. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. He is our mediator. He's our advocate. He's our high priest. Draw near to him immediately. Because when you think, you have that tendency again to stay away because of your sin. When you think that you need to clean yourself up before you come to him, that is continuing in sin. hear that? When you think that you need to clean yourself up before you draw near to the Lord, that is continuing in sin. You're treating Christ's sacrifice like it's not sufficient. That doesn't show confidence in Christ when you stay away. When you try and clean yourself up, that's you trying to add something to the sacrifice of Christ before you come to Him. Our confidence is holy in Jesus or not at all. Our confidence is holy in Jesus or not at all. So listen do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. Placing your confidence in yourself or anything or anyone else is throwing it away. Our confidence can only ever be in Christ. We're coming to the end of this thematic section right here. Where the author of Hebrews is talking about confidence in Christ. We're coming to the end and this is how he starts wrapping it up. He says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere, Christian. You need to persevere, church believers. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Well, then what's the will? Like how can we receive what he's promised? What's God's will? What is God's work that he requires of us? Listen, John says it in chapter six of his gospel. He says, the work of God is this that's required of us. The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. What's the work that God requires of us? That we believe in the one he has sent. It's not just affirming a fact. We stake our lives on this. We believe in Jesus Christ. We lean in. We're leaning wholly on Jesus Christ or not at all. Believe in the one he has sent. Listen, Hebrews is wrapping it up. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. We always have the tendency, and I think it's mostly a right tendency, when we see that word righteous one, my righteous one. In scripture, usually we think of Jesus, but the author of Hebrews right here, he's attributing it to us. My righteous one, my righteous ones, church, will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, church, if you shrink back, God says, I will not be pleased with him. Why? Because shrinking back reveals a lack of faith. We're either leaning wholly on Jesus Christ or not at all. If we shrink back, if we draw away, that's continuing in sin. Man, lean on that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, Hebrew says but of those who believe and are saved. Because our confident belief is in Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross, his perfect sacrifice, because our confident belief is in Jesus, let us draw near to God. Because we either draw near to him or we drift away. Okay, there's no staying the same. You're either drawing near to the Lord or you're drifting away from him. Don't let your sin cause you to shrink back and drift away. Don't let your sin cause you to shrink back. It might seem like the right thing to do, to do penance, to discipline yourself, but that's taking your confidence out of Christ and placing it in your guilty conscience. Staying away from God because of your sin is continuing in sin. Draw near to him immediately, always, especially in the midst of sin. We live by faith in the Son of God. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We lean in, we believe, and we are saved in full assurance of faith. Let's draw near. This right here, see that man? That's slick, that's sharp. That is a disc, that's not frisbee. That is a disc golf disc, man. Chris and I left that course. We really did. We got in the car and we just headed out. Like there's no way we were going to play with those guys. We got in the car. We immediately drove to an outdoor store. We lived in Kentucky at the time. And we each bought a driver. And then we went back to that course and we were terrible. We, were, we really were. We were awful. Like it didn't make us really any better. But... We'd gain just a little bit of confidence, okay? Because we had the right disc. We had, we had the right tool. It would at least look like we belonged, you know? Like we knew what we were doing. Like this little thing right here, it gave us confidence. And it's literally just a piece of plastic. It's just plastic. Man, the amount of things that are plastic and just made out of materials that wear out that we place our confidence in every day. It's just plastic. Listen to the one calls for our confidence. Listen, God, our God, the only God, the creator of heavens and earth, the giver and sustainer of life, that's our God. He came down to earth, came down to us. He became a man like us. He sacrificed himself for us. All of this while we were sinners. Again, if we weren't sinners, we wouldn't have needed all that. Because we were sinners, because of his great love for us, Jesus, our God, came down to us. He gave up his life so we could have it. But how? How can we have this sacrifice be credited to us? How can we have that life? How can the life of Christ be ours? I've been telling you this all along. What's the work that God requires of us? Man, to believe to lean in on that sacrifice and to wholly place our confidence in Christ or not at all. And to stake your life on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to believe that Christ's sacrifice is what actually and only saves you. Believe it. So then you take... Your belief, I guess in the form of a disc. You, know, you take your belief and you, and you hold it tight. You take your belief and then you draw near to God in full assurance of faith. You draw near, you lean in, you don't shrink back. You take your belief, you draw near to God in full assurance of faith that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the only thing that saves you. It's made you holy. Of this, we are confident. So now I want to take a moment before we close out, and just to have a, a time of silence. We're sitting in your seat. You can respond to the Lord, because there are some hard scriptures in there today. And one thing that we learned in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter four, we learned that God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any sword. It cuts to the heart. Man, it cuts deep. So I want to take thirty seconds or, or more, just a time of silence. We're right in your seats. And if the Lord has cut or convicted, it's just to respond immediately to the Lord, his conviction in your life. Man, if we are going over these scriptures today and you heard the verse about deliberate sin and you got scared because maybe you've been stuck in deliberate sin for a while, I was stuck in deliberate sin for a long time. I was. And listen, the only way I got out of it i talked to somebody about it. Man, if that verse scared you, I'd love to talk with you after service. But right now, spend some time responding to the Lord, and then I'll close us in just a second as we'll pray out. Lord, your word is good. Your word is sharp. God, it cuts deep and convicts. It cuts, but as in surgery. Lord, it cuts to repair and to make whole, God, it not only convicts, it gives hope, instills confidence in the finished work of Jesus. Lord, if we sin today, if we sin tomorrow, God, I pray that you would bring your word to our minds. God, that we would immediately and always draw near to you to not stay away from you because of our sin because Lord, that is continuing in sin Lord, that we would immediately go to you, God. I pray for any who are stuck in deliberate sin. Lord, that they would talk to somebody about it. Give them courage. God, and anyone that has that same story that was stuck in deliberate sin is now free from it. They have the same story I do. The way they got unstuck is they confessed it to a brother or sister in Christ. Lord, cut us and repair us. Make us whole. We place our confidence in you, your word, and the finished work of Jesus Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. We're gonna continue in our Hebrew series next week. Hey, I really would. I'd love to speak with you. If anything you wanna talk to me about. Y'all have a great week. See you next Sunday.